Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Policy Matters podcast. You are here for episode 36, the New Jersey Temporary Workers Bill of Rights. I'm here today with our great colleague from the New York office who actually is coming live from Connecticut today. Uh, Nick Lucier, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for coming. I'll just note, starting out, as the listeners of this podcast know quite well, this is typically a podcast that touches on legislation coming out of Congress, oftentimes touching on regulations coming from the MLRB or the DOL or any other federal agencies. But today we're going to dip into a little bit of federalism, and the four founders would be very proud of us for that. We have a sprawling measure coming out of New Jersey that could be uh, a harbinger of things to come in other states as well as on the federal level that really, in my estimation, takes out some of the reasons behind using temporary workers or staffing agencies and it places a quite the burden, in my estimation, on, on staffing agencies in that state. Um, and perhaps this is you know, an idea for this to be some sort of laboratory of policy wherein they see if this is workable regulation. I don't know that it will be. So given this, we think that it's important to touch on this piece of legislation as we think that it could sort of bleed into some other areas. So to that end, Nick, just on like a high, broad level, what does this bill do and how concerned should our clients be about it? Yeah, well, no, thank you for having me again. This is a really great opportunity for me to talk about this bill. You know, on a top level, we're talking about redefining the relationship between temporary laborers, the temporary health service firm, and their third-party clients. Basically, what the bill requires is, the law, I should say, requires is for the temporary health service firms to provide certain degrees of notice, record-keeping, and guarantee certain levels of pay for workers who meet certain definitions. And that's not just it. This law is sprawling, like you said earlier, and could be a harbinger of things to come. Before we move on to sort of more of the substantive provisions, what, what is a temporary help entity or whatever? You know, like, what would our listeners, like, there are numerous names for these entities, right? But what would our listeners make? Oh, I know what that is, you know? Right. The law does provide, the law does provide a definition for what it feels constitutes a temporary health service firm. A temporary health service firm is any person or entity who operates a business which consists of employing individuals directly or indirectly for the purpose of assigning the employed individuals to assist the firm's customers in the handling of the customer's temporary excess or special workloads. And it should be noted that the law does not include anything as to, you know, the length of time that these contracts exist. So you might have a temporary uh, contract or temporary placement contract with somebody for years and years. And the law isn't exactly clear on how we should treat those longstanding contracts versus something that is truly short term. Yeah, and the, the law seems like really uh, kind of revolves around this idea of these designated classifications that if you like the temporary worker has to fit into one of these designated classifications. Tell us a little bit more about what those are. Yeah, this is actually my favorite part of okay. the, the law and the part that's generating a lot of buzz is these Bureau of Labor Statistics classifications that have been made. They're really interesting because they're made for statistical purposes. And what you'll see in some of these classifications, and one of the things I think 
employers will need a lot of guidance on is you'll see these residual catch-all classifications at the end as part of these in these broader classifications there are many subclassifications including this one catch-all that will say and any and all other employees who are personal care employees right and so it's really going to be difficult to find the lines as to who is covered and who is not and it will require a case-by-case analysis i think who is and who is not covered yeah and i think that also makes it somewhat difficult at least for the employers in this regard and that one of the requirements is that the wage given to temporary workers is equal to the wage given to regular workers, right? And it would be like a regular worker, regular employee, you should say, within that designation. But what if you get that designation slightly wrong at the outset because it's sort of vague and ambiguous, right? What happens then? Right, exactly. And that's like the practicality or maybe the impracticality of the law is that you first of all, assume that you have the ability to call someone one thing. As we know, in this economy, people have dual roles. You know, you might have somebody who is a IT programmer, but also an IT specialist, someone who helps and repairs computers. And those that's a good example, actually, of a classification that kind of is between coverage and not coverage. Interesting. Uh, yeah. That's so fascinating. That makes everything so difficult because, Daniel, tell us a little, like, if you get that wrong, it seems to me that the potential for penalties and the potential for, you know, pretty harsh enforcement is prevalent in the language of the measure, but there hasn't been any real guidance on how to specifically comply with it. So just speak a little bit to us about sort of the enforcement provisions. Yeah. So you'll see at the end of almost every section, there is a nice warning about all the penalties that employers can see. And these look like they got a little bit of amendment after the governor's veto. But um, you'll see penalties that range per violation, sometimes 500 or even more dollars per violation. So it's definitely something that employers should be cognizant of. Yeah, it, I, I think another piece of it is I think a lot of employers might look at this and say, well, it's just the staffing agencies, right? Like, thankfully, like that's. That's not great because we need those staffing agencies, but at least we're clean from the liability provisions. But that's not totally true either, is it, right? It seems like this also could be a potential for a joint employment issue in this as well. Yeah, you're right. There is actually a section in other places in the law that infer joint responsibilities. So employers might not be able just to escape by blaming the temporary health service firm. They, too, might actually be facing liability as well. Oh, boy. Well, that's I mean, do you think that there's any chance? Well, first off, is this workable at all? Right. As a just as a regulatory framework, like how can these staffing agencies comply with this? I just wanted to touch on this more about this practicality. It looks like there's a provision in which they have to both register with the DOL in New Jersey. And then if they want to hire a temporary service worker, which could be for anything, you might need a temporary service worker tomorrow, but you have to have registered and then file some kind of a paper with them. Correct. Yes. That if you do meet the definition of temporary health service firm, yes, you will have to go with the to the New Jersey Department of Labor and you will have to register and get certification with the Department of Labor as long as you're you know, covered under the law. Um, and yes, it, it does provide a, a host of, of problems if you need to staff someone right away. There are the notice requirements need to be given, right, before you dispatch them. And what dispatch means isn't entirely clear by the law, right? So, and then if anything changes, you need to give 48 hours notice in advance if the, the shift time changes, for example. So there are 
stack full of things that temporary health service firms need to do before they even you know start operating under this law. So what you're telling me, Nick, is that we could have a podcast that lasts like two hours just going through all the different sort of really just practical HR kind of. It, it seems a little bit like uh, this is going to put so much of an extra burden on HR, but failure to comply with these unworkable provisions carries such a hefty penalty. It just it seems unworkable at this point. And, and Nick, it seems that we've raised a lot of, we've thrown a lot of softballs in the air and we have not figured out how to bat them down. So my hope is that maybe in about a year from now, we can come back and talk about how this has worked out because I'm interested to see what the wait time at the Department of Labor is going to be for getting those kinds of temporary workers uh, certified by that bureaucracy. That's going to be time consuming, I imagine. I'd like to see what kind of enforcement penalties come out of this as well, because how are they going to create a bureaucracy to enforce something so big in such a short amount of time? I think we're just going to have to see. Any parting thoughts, Nick? No, I just that I think we should expect to see some developments here with regard to regulations, because there is a good amount of ambiguity in this law. And so do you expect some regulations coming or some guidance coming from the New Jersey Department of Labor, I would think? When that happens, Nick, I think we should get back together and talk about this because I'm sure that we have, we, I know we have a number of staffing agencies and a number of <laughs> clients who use temporary workers all the time. So thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and speaking to sort of the broad requirements of this measure. This is literally just an amuse-bouche of, of what this bill entails. So uh, hopefully we'll come back soon and we'll have seen at that point some more uh, enforcement of this measure. So thanks again, and we'll see everyone next time.